What do you do on Sundays? We talk about Kate Blanchett, the acting, the costumes, the awards, but mostly the Blanchett of it all. Oh, oh I'm not acting. <laughs> you think this is a love affair? I saw you, Erica. Meeting in the middle. This is Sundays with Kate, and I'm your host, Mortada El Fadi. Welcome to Sundays with Kate, the podcast series about the films of Kate Blanchett. Every week, we choose a Kate Blanchett film and discuss it with a guest. And guys, this week, we're discussing one of my very favorite Kate Blanchett movies. This is the one that I think I love more than anybody else in the world. You know, a little bit of hyperbole. It's the one that I endlessly quote. And it's also the one that I'm willing to concede that Kate maybe, now just maybe, gives the second best performance in it and not the ultimate best performance in it. So this week we're discussing her duet with Dane Judi Dench in Notes on a Scandal. And my guest for this episode is our first third time returning guest. You have heard her on the podcast discussing Elizabeth in our very first episode. And then we discussed Robin Hood last year. Please welcome back Teo Bunkley. Hi, Teo. Hello. Hi. I'm delighted to be back and also delighted to find out that I'm the first three-time three time Sundays with Kate returnee. Um, an honor. An honor. <laughs> I feel like the, the films that we've watched together for the podcast are such a funny... <laughs> like such a funny compilation. Like I would say we've really like run the gamut of Kate's worst <laughs> with Robin Hood to, well, we'll, we'll talk about notes on a scandal. I think yeah. like a, a delightful time and I'm excited to spar with you about, about her status. Yes. Yes. I'm excited too. Um, so notes on a scandal is a movie that came out in 2006 and The movie is about a friendship. It's about a friendship between a veteran high school teacher and the new teacher in the school who then um, scandalously has an affair with one of the students, a 15-year-old. So Kate is the younger woman who has the affair and Judy Dench is the older woman who is her friend and who also has maybe romantic feelings about her or wants to spend some time with her. She, um, even though the movie is told in voiceovers through Judy's character, her name is Barbara Cobbett, and through Barbara Cobbett's diary, we're not always sure of what her intentions are until she keeps revealing herself as the movie goes along. Um, this movie is based on a novel by Zoe Heller. It was adapted by Patrick Marber. It's directed by Richard Eyer. Um, and so I love this movie. I think it's amazing. It's a movie I watched. Me and Philip watch it all the time. It was one. Um, it was actually the movie when we started dating that we watched as our first just sit home and not go anywhere and watch a movie and be relaxed as a couple in early on in a relationship. And he had never seen it, but he loves it. And we've seen it together so many times since. So that is delightful. And I did not know that about you and Philip. That is one of the new gayest things about you. <laughs> yes, absolutely. It is. It's a very gay movie, and we will talk about that. So Kate plays Sheba Hart. She is, as Barbara says, a bourgeoisie bohemia teacher. Um, and she's introduced to us three minutes into the movie as sort of there is a meeting of the board of the school with all the teachers and the headmaster, and she comes in as, 
as the outsider, the new teacher is cool. And in the voiceover, we hear Judy, as Barbara Covid say, she's hard to reach. She's a wispy novice. And she is flustered and a bit late to the meeting. And so that coupled with what Barbara says about her in the voiceover sort of builds this character, this someone who is beautiful and admired by everyone and who turns heads, but is also maybe not always there because she is in her head or, or somewhere else thinking about things. So I want to ask you first, Teo, what's your impression about this movie? I know you've seen it a lot and we have talked about it, not in detail as we're doing today, but just in general. Yeah, so this is a movie that I would have been 13 when it came out in 2006. I think I saw it. That was like pretty... Um, pretty like dead center in the flush of me watching movies because they were nominated for Oscars. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that I saw it. I didn't see it in theaters. Um, but I think I saw it when it was like available at the blockbuster, if you can remember what a blockbuster is. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I have the, I think the first impression that I had of the movie was that it was a very, it was a very serious film that was made by serious people with like a sort of juicy, but ultimately serious story. And then I probably did not think about it again <laughs> for another, <laughs> you know, for another good long stretch. And then I remember watching it with a very dear friend of mine um, in college Obviously, I was a very different person from who I was as a teenager, and I am pretty sure we got high and watched Notes on a Scandal in our respective dorm rooms and just kikied the entire time. I mean, like it, it was immensely clear from that second viewing that what we had on our hands was a real, a real joyride, <laughs> um, yes. a, a real, a real cracker. Um, in sort of, you know, and I think. Ratata, I know that this was something that, you know, you've expressed about the movie, but in a, a kind of whatever happened to baby Jane-ish, mm -hmm. <coughs> excuse me, in a kind of whatever happened to baby Jane-ish way, um, where you're watching just two, like both hugely famous and hugely accomplished actors dig into kind of trashy material, you know, mm -hmm. like material that isn't, um, Highbrow. It's like not they Ibsen. usually do. <laughs> right. It's this is not Ibsen. Like we are not, we are not in the cherry orchard. Like this is <laughs> this is like a good trash fest. Yes. And that's that's quite fun. So it's like a good trashy melodrama um that gives its lead performers a lot to work with. Um and a lot of big juicy scenes, mm -hmm. monologues to rip into. Um crises to explode in mm -hmm. it's quite fun um yeah. and I think sort of where I've landed on it in this last in this last viewing is kind of somewhere actually between my first two times watching it where maybe it's because of the pandemic um but it's it's a funny movie to watch alone um partly I think because while it is like delightful and it is like uh this big acting showcase particularly for for Judy Dench mm -hmm. um it is also predicated on 
the kind of predatory dyke uh, mm-hmm. narrative in which you know Barbara Covent is stalking and ruining the life of her prospective paramour and is also simultaneously like the the sexuality of that character is both um both based on predation and also based on like a a neutered quality at the same time yeah you know that she's like neither capable of of pursuing desire in a straightforward way nor is she harmless you know so so it's sort of like watching solo this last time i was still enjoying you know the things that i enjoy about the movie um this zoom room i think is is titled after my favorite line in the movie you're not young you're not yes. young <laughs> yeah so this this is a lot so let's let's i want to talk about all of this this is great it's juicy it's delicious but it does play with the trope of the predatory lesbian the sort of repressed lesbian which we see a lot um so all of that but let's start with the juicy and delicious I think the Juicy and Delicious starts even with the premise because the premise is so sensational. Like it is, and it was sold at the time, I remember, it is a story about a teacher who has an affair with her 15-year-old student. So that's like the headline. That's a sensational thing that sort of is supposed to get people interested in it. And then you you go in to see it or you hit play to see to stream it and then you discover it's completely something else. It is, yes, that is part of it, but it's also about this friendship, about this... It's mainly about Barbara Covet and what she does and how she reacts to this affair. Um, so, so from the beginning, this is, like you said, not Ibsen. It's very, very trashy. It's, it's about... It has that, you know, just affair in the, in the, in the, at the center of it. What I love about it um, is just... It's such a quotable movie. Like, we start with the Judy voiceover. Barbara Covet is one of the most delicious characters ever played by Judy Dan. She herself has recently said it is her favorite character, and it is a role that she wants to play something like it. She wants to play someone vicious. She's so vicious. Like, and then the voiceover cuts like a knife. And as, I just want to quote all of her lines. Like, the you're not young is a great line. Um, Ritata, you have to say it the way that she says it. Say it. You are not young. I say this to help not- you. <laughs> <laughs> You're not young. Far, there's nothing crueler than the adolescent boy. I know them. Once he's had his fill, he'll discard you like an old rag. You're not young. I say this to help you. Yeah. <laughs> she, she, her lines delivery are amazing. I also just love when she says out of the blue when, she, when Sheba invites her in the, at the beginning of their friendship. Um, she's desperate to be this woman's friend, right? Um, and this is another word that, you know, we'll use with Barbara, unfortunately, because the movie tells us that all these words, you know, depre- repressed and desperate and all of these things, she wants to be her friend. And then when Shiva invites her over, um, it's like, you know, she says, oh, I'll just make some lasagna. And she says the line delivery of, I adore lasagna. It's so, like, so well done. You can see sort of the joy she has in that finally getting an invitation to do something in the weekend. But Dame Judy is, 
truly amazing in this. But the sensationalism, the trashiness of this movie starts with just the names of the characters. Barbara Covet. She's coveting something. I guess in this in this in this instance, in this story, it's Shiva Hart. And Shiva Hart. She is Shiva. She is somebody who is, you know, wants to run free. All of these things to me should make for a bad movie. Like the storyline, the trashiness of it, the obviousness of the 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 names, even the obviousness of the names of the characters, it should all make for these sort of obvious things that you're just like, oh, I know what you're trying to say here, you know, I don't care. And I usually that would be my reaction. Like when something is obvious, I just dismiss it as not good. But somehow with this movie, I just embrace it. And I have to say, I I haven't always loved this movie this much. Like when I when it first came out, I remember it came out. It's one of those movies that um is released like after Christmas and the week before Christmas and New Year's. And by the time it's released, it's already been nominated for everything. Both Judy and Kate were nominated for awards. So you knew that this movie, you know, was up for all these awards. So I went dutifully the day it opened to watch it. And I was like, oh, okay, this was fine. Whatever. I didn't think about it again and didn't. But as the years went by, I kept going back to it. And especially after um, I just thought about it in that tradition of, the exploitation movies, like Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. It's just a movie to be cherished, especially to be cherished by gay people and maybe more particularly gay men. It's the movie that has these two actresses at the top of their game. Um, in this case, Kate and Judy. And if you compare it to Whatever Baby Jane, it was Betty Davis and Joan Crawford. And they are at each other's um, throats basically for the whole movie and the movie the big setup in the movie is a big confrontation fight an actual fight similar to what happens in in baby jane and it is very well written but is also funnily written like nobody talks like that when you're fighting you you don't come with these clever bon mots as you're fighting but it works here and this this is i have watched the movie many times but i have also just watched that scene which is a clip on youtube a lot it's just fun so I said a lot of things. What do you think about the juicy and delicious part of this? Well, I mean, I I think, you know, you're not going to love me for this, but Judy really eats her up, honey. <laughs> Judy really eats Kate up in those scenes. I mean, the way and the way that I would say it's different from a whatever happened to baby Jane is that you know, in, in a movie like that, you may have your, like, you may be a Betty girl or you may be a Joan girl, but mm. they're coming at it with sort of an equal arsenal and kind of on equal footing. And that's part of the fun of it. Kate is lucky to not be completely blown off the screen by, by Judy. She's Dench. not blown off the screen because she's pretty good. <laughs> she's okay. She's okay at best. I'm, I'm to be totally frank. I'm I mean, her best, her, her best scenes, in, in my opinion, really come actually with the young boy who she's having the affair with. Mm-hmm. I think like uniformly, like those are the scenes in which she's giving a, a sort of um, there's like an ingenuity to maybe the way that she plays those scenes to the, the character's sort of indulgence. Um, and narcissism and you know I think that there is like meaningful consideration from Kate 
in that role about why a person engages, why a woman engages in such an inappropriate relationship. Um, you know, I think actually a lot about the, the scene after she and the boy have sex for the first time where, you know, they're sort of, I mean, it's the most depressing possible place for them to be having sex. They're like under, they're under a train. Yeah. I mean, it's like behind the train track, but not even, it's like under the train. They're like fucking under the train, basically. It's a very unsexy place to have sex. (laughs) Deeply unsexy, deeply unsexy. Um, Anyway, and so they're sort of uh, languishing afterwards and sort of getting dressed again. And he asks her if she wants to do it again. And she kind of like, she kind of laughs in, in that scene and in that moment. And that like something about the way that Kate plays that, that sort of acknowledgement that it's a bad decision, acknowledgement that she wants to do it anyway, acknowledgement Mm -hmm. that the, the person that she's with isn't able to meet her in at like the degree of, um complexity of what her life is you know is mm-hmm. is really interestingly played but yeah. i think in her scenes with judy <laughs> judy is just judy is just like full toolbox like judy is like what's the judy is like the woman in audition <laughs> <laughs> and every line every look every gesture is calculated to such a degree that it's like she's maximizing every second that she's on screen and she's on screen a lot. So you're getting like each, each cumulative moment of Judy is like building on the joy of watching Judy in this performance. And Mm -hmm. Judy is just like, you can see her delight at playing such a monster of a character. And I just don't think that Kate is able to match her in, in their confrontations. Like, I don't think even the scene of the the one that you're referring to where they finally have sort of the big blowout at the end, I think Kate brings a lot of bluster to that scene, but just can't, what are you going to do? Judy as Barbara Covet, it's just too good. Like there's nothing you can say at that point. I agree that Dane Judy is wonderful in this movie. And you can see that she relishes the chance to sort of dig into this part um, because it's, you know, usually she plays queens and monarchs and these proper older nice ladies. And here she is nothing but. She's somebody who is vicious. She's somebody who has utter contempt for everybody in her life, everybody she interacts with, except for Sheba. And even for Sheba, that is just for a time. Then she has contempt for her too. Um, like Barbara Covet herself would say, this is a gold star performance. I love it. I think I think Judy is amazing. And like I said at the beginning of when we started talking, I might be able to concede that for the first time ever in a Kate Blanchett movie, she might not give the best performance. Um, but I also want to say about Kate's performance is that the character that she plays here and why I love this performance from Kate is that this is a character that's unlike most of the characters that she usually plays. So she usually plays people who are very smart. She usually plays people who are exceptional. Like, you know, she is Elizabeth I, or she is Carol, who is the most exceptional woman. Or even in something like Benjamin Button, she is the ideal of the perfect woman, somebody who is 
so beautiful and a ballerina and somebody to love and cherish. Like, it's just, it's, it's these really exceptional people. That's her career. That's who she plays. Because her persona on screen is somebody really smart, really intelligent, somebody who is not the fool. But she is the fool in Notes on a Scandal. Sheba is foolish. She is very messy. She is somebody who is, doesn't have her life in control like Kate's character usually do. She's somebody who doesn't know what she's doing or why she's doing it. Um, And I think that is hard to play. And I think there is, I agree maybe that there is a vagueness in the performance, but the vagueness is because Sheba is vague. She is somebody who maybe doesn't think that much. So it is all of these contradictions that she is able to play. I really, I really think I like this performance and I think, you know, as, you know, there is that scene where her mom comes for Christmas and she describes her as somebody without substance. And you could see sort of like, you know, they cut to her face and you could see like, I think that sort of informs the whole performance. She is probably, Sheba is probably someone who all her life has heard people say that about her, that she is beautiful, but has no substance. And I think that comes in the performance. She is very needy. Even with the young kid, she is needy with with Barbara. And I think that comes um, in the performance. I agree that Judy's performance is, is just the thing that you can't take your eyes off it. First of all, because the voiceover is just delicious and she's narrating the whole film. And it's one of those things where the voiceover is telling you something, which is telling you what Barbara thinks of the situation. And then you see the situation unfolds and it's different. And also, she just gets the best lines. Like, she gets the best lines. Like, even in her scenes with Sheba, Barbara gets the best lines. And she's delicious. And she delivers them so well. Yeah. I I think also maybe something that's informing, like, where I'm coming from with Kate is that it does also tend to fall on Kate in a way that it kind of actually, like, rolls off of Judy. Um, But because the movie has this sort of central predatory dynamic, mm-hmm. um, it puts Kate in the position of being the one who rejects mm-hmm. and the one who um, defines what Judy is doing as being predatory and as stepping over the line and as being wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, all of those things are true, but it's just unpleasant. <laughs> yeah. You know, like the, the sort of unpleasant tasks of the mm-hmm. movie, which I, I I do think are what gives the movie its vivacity. Mm-hmm. I mean, like if it were, if it were less toxic, um, it would maybe be, it wouldn't be as fun. Yeah. Um, but it wouldn't be as time, watchable. No, it wouldn't be as watchable, I think. But at the same time, it sort of then puts the actress playing Sheba, in this case, Kate. But I do think that she's sort of left with the unpleasant task of having having to be the one who tells the lesbian that she's disgusting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, I think you're referring to that scene where Judy, where Barbara wants to touch um, Sheba. And that is a kind of, that is the crux where the sort of repressed, predatory, lesbian trope just comes not just a parent, it comes yelling at you. Here is, here she is. She's finally shown herself to be this predatory. And it is a very uncomfortable scene. But also it is a scene to your point that you were making. If we don't have it, there will be, there will be no stakes to the story. 
Right. Com- yeah, completely agreed. Um, it's just one of those things where you're like watching the disgust register on Kate Blanchett's face and you're like a little bit fuck you, girl. <laughs> like, I mean, you're like, Judy, this is this is creepy. Like, really, like, walk it back. Walk it back, honey. Like, let's just put that inside voice back in. <laughs> but you but you do sort of resent. I think you would resent almost anyone in in the Sheba role. Yeah, totally. And so if we're talking about this predatory lesbian trope, Sheba herself is a predator. I mean, society and norms tell us that fucking a 15-year-old boy, you know, (laughs) is predatory behavior. Um, And even though the movie doesn't have a scene like that with with between Sheba and Michael Connolly, I think that's the boy's name, um, there is no scene where he's disgusted by her. There is a scene where he tells her off, um, where he says, you know, I um, I gave you a sad story, whatever. You know, this used to be fun. This is not fun anymore. And you show that she's hurt. So there, it's sort of, it's sort of a mirror scene, but her hurt is not as jarring as the disgust that Sheba shows to Barbara. Well, and I think that this is one of the things that does make the movie play a little oddly when you're not sort of, you know, giggling at it um, and enjoying the sort of like spectacle of the performances, but that the film positions what Kate's character is doing with that young boy as being something that is legitimately sexy to that character. And Mm -hmm. like, is presented in a way visually to the audience as something that the audience could conceivably enjoy that like mm-hmm. we like that the the boy the movie goes out of the way to sort of define the boy as attractive even though he is also very visibly a minor you know that he yeah. he doesn't he's not like an adult playing a child he looks like a child as a child yeah and the movie sort of visualizes why he would be attractive to this adult woman, mm-hmm. which I think actually I, I don't have a problem with as an artistic decision, I think is like the strong artistic decision to make, but it does throw into way sharper relief, the like genuine repulsion of Barbara Covet as a character, you know, that the film positions Barbara's desire as being grotesque in comparison with like a dynamic that is truly grotesque, you know, that like the the degree of harm that Barbara inflicts upon Sheba's life actually is not equal to the degree of harm that Sheba is inflicting upon this child's life. Mm-hmm. Um, and the movie doesn't, I think, deal with that completely. And sort of, you know, in some ways to its benefit as like an enjoyable experience, you know, like, I don't know that the film not treating Barbara as a monster would make it a better film. I think it, it like that is the fun of the movie. Yeah. Um, but it does create this sort of uneven dynamic that's like maybe unfortunate only when you think in the sort of long term of what lesbian tropes and stereotypes and um, sort of heritage stories have been over time, you know? Yeah, if you, if you sort of think of it as in the history of those movies, you know, things like 
The Children's Hour with Shirley MacLaine and um, Audrey Hepburn, which also played with this trope, even something like Mrs. Danvers. You know, there is no sex there, but the longing and the touching of the underwear. It's very predatory behavior. Um, and, you know, Mrs. Danvers is fun, just like Barbara Cobbett is, although The Children's Hour I don't think is fun at all. <laughs> so, so it does play with that, and I get it. And I think one of the things that I feel whenever I'm watching this movie is that I so don't want to see the scenes between Sheba and the boy. I just like, you know, I want to just go back to this tit-a-tat between Barbara and Sheba, like the friendship between them or whatever you want to call it. It's, it's friendships, you know, in quotes. Um, but that's, that's the fun of the movie. But to your point, yes, if Barbara is not predatory, it won't be as fun because there will be no stakes. Um, one scene that I, I wanted to talk about and I wanted to, um, dig deeper into a little bit is um is that scene that I referred to earlier which is the first time Barbara visits Sheba after she's invited to lasagna lunch and I love that scene because Barbara goes to the hairdresser dyes her hair you know um she's all ready she dresses up um so it sets these expectations. She's, she's dressed. She made an effort. She even says that you need to make an effort when you get an invitation. Um, and then she goes there and it's just a casual Sunday afternoon in the house. Uh, people know she's coming, but they are like, they think it's, it's, it's nothing special at all. Uh, even the lasagna is not new. I think it's, it's from, it's, it's been made before and it's in the fridge. So they're just reheating the lasagna. And Sheba's daughter even says, you're all dolled up. You look pretty posh. Where are you going? And she then realizes and has to, um, to sort of say, oh, I have an appointment in, in town later. And then it's also like the film tries to talk about class. Um, Sheba is from the very beginning presented as bourgeois bohemia. So she's somebody with money. She obviously comes from money. There is mention of the house. It's very big and huge and she has inherited it. So it's, they, we are told that she has money. And obviously the boy that she has the affair with is Irish. That's one indication of class. You know, Brits love to talk down to Irish people. Um, and also, you know, the sad story that he gives her is about him being poor and even um, educationally challenged. So, so he seduces her by sort of telling her he needs her help. But, and so the film is setting up this class dynamic. But in that scene, it sets up the class dynamic between Sheba and Barbara. And I love that scene because you get to know so much about the imbalance in their friendship. Um, you get to know so much about that. And it's just like Barbara's voiceover is delicious. Like the way when she discovers that, Sheba's husband is way older than her or when she calls um, her son who has Down syndrome a court jester. She is as vicious to everybody in Sheba's um, life as she is to everybody in her life. And it's also just, it sort of goes back to that thing of like, does she love her or does she actually care for her when she has contempt for everything in her life and she mocks everything in her life? Well, I think she certainly doesn't love Sheba. Barbara Barbara is a character who I think is incapable of of love, partly because, and I think that this is like the sort of unspoken function of repression that the movie is like getting at with that character, that like she is sort of trapped in an, in 
herself in a kind of adolescent iteration of desire um, Mm -hmm. in which, you know, the the object of desire is to be trapped and played with, um, but is incapable of sort of expressing that in adult terms. Um, And so it's sort of like the mirroring, I think, of the relationship that Sheba has with the boy and Barbara's relationship with Sheba are sort of two sides of adolescent or sort of um, kind of pre premature uh, iterations of, of desire and desiring. Um, I agree that, you know, I think the, the class dynamics in the movie are something that in this last watch of it, I was kind of interested by because I think the one place that Barbara doesn't criticize actually is the children (laughs) that, I mean, Sheba's children, you know, she has many words about, but her assessment of the kids in the school that they teach at is basically just like, of course they're monsters. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's like, I too am a monster. And of course they're monsters that I treat them as a monster and they respect me. (laughs) She calls them, you know, future plumbers and shopkeepers. Exactly. And that's probably the nicest thing she says about anyone the whole movie. Totally. Absolutely. (laughs) It's so, so great. The other scene that I wanted to dig deeper into, and and this is, I think it's just sort of a juicy fun scene um, because it's so improbable. It is so out of this world is Barbara's cat is very sick and is dying. And she comes and, she, you know, Sheba has been helping her with the cat and sort of being um, sympathetic about it and telling her, yes, your loss of your cat is huge and whatever. So the cat is being put to sleep. And so Sheba comes to, um, I'm sorry, Barbara comes to Sheba's house and Sheba is taking her kids to school because her son is in a school play. And Barbara expects her to drop everything and spend this time with her, even though she has these responsibilities to her family, to her child. Um, And of course, this is after she has discovered the affair and this is where she is sort of threatening her with telling about the affair if she doesn't basically do what she wants to do, uh, if she doesn't do what she wants her to do. And so it's such an improbable scene because I would just can't imagine somebody I'm friends with um, you know, I don't have kids, but let's say I have kids coming to tell me, drop everything, including your kid's play, that it's the first time in their life this kid is going to be in a play and come spend some time with me because my cat is dying. It is so improbable, but it's also so fun and delicious because <laughs> there is all those lines. Um, because the husband is there and the husband is trying to sort of tell her, um, let's go. And, and she says to her, let me, and she says to him, let me handle this. And of course, Barbara Covid, Judy is so amazing where she drops that line and she says, I'm an imposition to be handled, am I? I thought you understood what friendship means. <laughs> it's my child. It's my son. It's just a little boy. Don't play the good mother with me. Excuse me, ladies. Could one of you tell me what's going on? Is this some kind of coven? 
I can explain perfectly. Would you like me to? No, it's just a bar had some very bad news about her cat. My condolences. Poor, poor pussy. Now, can I have my wife back, please? I don't like your tone. Why is she always here? What kind of fucking spell has she cast on you? So get in the bloody car. Give me a minute, will you? I can handle this. Oh, I'm to be handled, am I? Like toxic waste. Oh. You see me on sufferance. I'm an imposition to be tolerated. And I love it. I love the scene. It's improbable. It's fun. It's something. It's a microcosm of that relationship. But it's also so improbable that it probably will not happen in real life. And this is why I love this movie. It's heightened. It's all above. It's things that you believe because there are these wonderful actors playing them, but they are not believable at all. Actually, just draw attention now that you've brought him up to the husband, who's played by Bill Nye. And again, like this last go around, I was quite impressed by Bill Nye. I like Bill Nye in the movie more than Kate even. Um, Stop saying that. Third, third best, <laughs> third best performance in the film. <laughs> it's good for the podcast, Murtada, if you have a little opposition. <laughs> okay, I'll allow it. <laughs> um, no, but I think that he's so wonderful throughout the film in that you do... And and part of it is is down to the writing. You know, the writing in the movie accounts for a lot of backstory quite quickly through the sort of Judy narration. But you do you do see him. You see the way that it could have been a hot affair to begin that relationship with mm-hmm. Kate Blanchett. Like he, you do see what would be attractive about him. You do kind of get the. Um, quasi paternal relationship that's both like stifling but then also probably a structure that the that character the Sheba character really needs to sort of be taken care of in a relationship because clearly she can't make a decision for herself to save her life yeah totally um but then you also he's he's quite a delightful part of that scene with the cat where he's impatient he, he can't stand Barbara doesn't understand why she's become uh, a fixture of their lives. And of course he doesn't know at this point about the affair. So he doesn't know that Barbara has effectively blackmailed her way into being a part of their lives. And, and I he's think like, his, why is she always here? Why is she always here? And she's like, my cat just died. And he's like, poor pussy, get in the car. <laughs> but it's, yeah, a, a kind of a, a really lovely performance, I think from, from Bill Nye. And I think that his scene with Kate you know, as she sort of faces the press um, where he's acknowledging that he knew that she was going to be a bad spouse (laughs) when they got together, but that she should have come to him because he knew that already. And so, so if she had come to him, he would have helped her figure it out. You know, I think, I think that he's quite lovely in those scenes and you do actually really believe the relationship with Kate. Yeah, I do. I do think that, that scene you just mentioned where he says, you're a wonderful mother, but you've been a bloody bad wife. And then he's like, why didn't you come to me to help? That's his best moment in the movie. Because he, like, the, the way that he's able to register all of that, that knowledge that he has lived with for years, that I always knew this was going to happen or something like this was going to happen, that you were going to betray me. But I didn't think it will be this, this sensationalistic or this just awful um, it's just so well done. And Bill Nye is really wonderful. And, um, and he's able to sort of insert himself into this movie that is about these two powerhouses coming at each other, 
that he is memorable. He he is memorable. Like a lesser actor would have not been able to be as memorable as he is, or leave a mark like he does. Agreed. Teo, it's time for us to discuss this scene. I call it the do you want to fuck me, Barbara scene. But, you know, you could call it so many other things. You could call it the they'll fly by scene because (laughs) Shiva says, I could get two years. And Barbara says, they'll fly by. That's what, you know, Philip, my husband, calls it. He always says to me, they'll fly by. Um, You could call it so many things. Um, They'll fly by is such a good line reading from Judy. It's so genius the way that she says it as if she's she reveals in in her line reading that she knows (laughs) that she's thought about this and that they'll fly by. (laughs) She's like, yes, you'll go to prison, but I'll visit you. They'll fly by. So let's set up the scene. So this is later in the movie. So if you're watching this movie, there is no reason to skip. Just watch the whole movie. But, you know, you'll have to wait for this. It's later in the movie. The affair has been revealed. Um, The husband has asked Sheba to leave the house. So she is staying with Barbara. And so Barbara goes to buy groceries. There are tabloid reporters outside. So Sheba can't leave. So she's alone in Barbara's house and she discovers the gold stars that are just strewn all over Barbara's apartment because Barbara writes in her notebook and then she gives herself gold stars for the gold star days where, you know, she is happy about something that she imagined happened between her and she because it never really happens as she thinks. Okay, quickly, I just want to ask you a couple questions about the gold stars because for me... Okay, number one, Barbara Covet's Barbara Covet's journal, fantastically scrapbooked. I mean, what an impeccable journal. Like I was like looking at it and was really thinking about, you know, what do I want to do with my planner this year? Like, what do I want to do with like, should I be like, should I make a journal? It's so cute. Like all of her little clippings. She's got little newspaper articles. Oh, she's no. got the whole thing. Yeah, it's great. It's great. She's got a great diary set up. We really have to acknowledge Barbara as a stationary queen and she's at the top of her game. But number two, (laughs) I don't get why the gold star thing prompts the search. I'm like, Sheba, like, girl, you have not put two and two together once in this movie, but yet you have figured out by looking at these gold stars that you need to be searching for Barbara's secret journal. Well, let's not give Sheba too much credit because she finds the gold star and she wants to throw it in the trash. I don't know if you remember that bit. And when she throws it in the trash, she finds a a torn piece of paper from the diary that maybe Barbara has rewritten. And so she threw this one. And that's when she opens it, reads it, and that makes her look for the diary. So Sheba is not that smart. Not that smart (laughs) tale. We know that about her. She's not an intellectual. She's definitely not. So anyway, she finds the diary. And of course, everything is revealed in the diary from the fact that she has strands of her hair in the diary to all the things she calls her husband, her children, all these names, to the fact that she was the one who revealed the affair. Because at that point, she even knows the affair is revealed, but she doesn't know that it was Barbara who was behind the whole thing. Um... So, of course, they have this confrontation. And I just want to give credit to Richard Marber. And I don't know if this was in the book by Zoe Heller or if this is his lines. 
But whoever wrote these lines, they are wonderful. And it's just, there's so many good ones. We've already talked about the Dale flyby. But I also, and if you've been listening to um, Sundays with Kate, this is the quote that I chose from that scene to put in the intro for every episode, where Sheba says, you think this is a love affair? A relationship? Sticky gold stars and a strand of my hair? I will put that right here so you don't have to listen to me say it, but you listen to Kate saying it. Why did you do it? Because I didn't help you collect your cat. You've cost me my family. Take some responsibility. I gave you exactly what you wanted. You'd still be stuck in that marriage without me. What? You can't accept it yet. You think I wanted to be here with you? You need me. I'm your friend. You put me in prison. I could get two years. They'll fly by. I'll visit you every week. We've so much life to live together. You think this is a love affair? A relationship? What? Sticky gold stars and, 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 and a strand of my hair and a receipt from Pizza Express? It's a flat in the Archway Road and you think you're Virginia frigging wolf? Where did you get my hair? Did you pluck it from the bath with some special fucking tweezers? Don't you know it's rude to read a person's diary? It's private! Companions, we're not friends. You don't even like me! That's not true. I only have tender feelings for you. Only love! But it's very funny to me that, you know, she says all these things. It's a flat in the Archway Road and you think you're a Virginia Woolf, which is kind of maybe what Barbara thinks of herself. Because earlier when she visits Sheba, she says to her when Sheba shows her her secret room, oh, a room of one's own. So maybe this scene also gives us more insight into Barbara. (laughs) I don't know that in this scene, you know, as much as I enjoy it and I enjoy like the the spectacle of it that it's not for me a scene where the lines specifically come to me outside of when I'm watching it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the, the defining line of the movie for me is comes so much earlier, which is the, the Judy, you're not young yeah, moment. Um, they'll fly by is another classic. It's maybe I, maybe I, dissociate through this scene too because I'm like I just like can't deal with the evil lesbian getting her comeuppance Mm -hmm. um so like even though I I do enjoy the scene it's just like not one that I remember the specifics of like the lines from back back and forth okay but this is also the scene that sort of like it's the one that sort of made me think of um, when I first started to link this movie to whatever happened to Baby Jane, this is sort of the scene that made that lineage, that made that link for me, because it is a scene where they face each other. It is a scene where finally all the cards are on the table. And it's sort of, um, it sort of reminded me of that movie. And it's sort of like, it's just fun to watch two actresses, um, you know, share a scene together where they are in such opposition to each other um, and one of the fun anecdotes is that um, that Kate has shared in interviews is that they were both sort of nervous about the scene because the scene involves a little bit of physicality and she has to um, push uh, Dame Judy and sort of hit her against um, the sideboard. And so they were both nervous about that. But um, Kate brought a bottle of champagne. And so after they successfully shot the scene, they shared this bottle of champagne and apparently they drank the whole bottle in one sitting. Um, and um, 
there is a, a sort of funny, there is a very cute picture where they're both laughing um, that I will put in the podcast. And that sort of, I don't think it's it's of the day they shot that scene, but I think it's a, it's a picture that I just, that picture uh, sort of connected to this anecdote just sort of tells me how much these two women enjoyed working with each other. And since they made this movie, they have both talked so much about the fact that they loved working together. Um, and even when Kate, you know, won her Oscar, she paid tribute to to Judy, who was also nominated that year. Yeah, I, I mean, I do think that the joy of working together comes through in their scenes um, and in that big confrontation scene even. And, and part of it is just that Judy is like ripping into, just ripping into the material. I mean, like, who wouldn't have fun working opposite somebody who's giving the performance that Judy is giving? Like, yeah. Judy is just like rolling in it she <laughs> the is. entire time. She is. And, you know, to the point, like, I know a lot, it's it's not just you who thinks that Judy runs with the duet. It's a lot of people who think that. But I also think there is a little bit of, to what you were just saying, there is a little bit in Kate all of this person who she probably has admired for years and she finally got to work with. And she's like, you know what, I'm not going to fight you for the scene. Just have it. You know, I'm not going to fight you for the movie. Just have the movie. Because I think... Um, Kate is a dominant sort of presence in movies, but I don't think she's a selfish actor. Like she's somebody who always will not try to dominate a movie or a scene if she doesn't have to. It's just like, I think in most cases, the characters she's play she plays are very dominant. And that's why she sort of tends to run away with movies, but may- but not in this case. Yeah, I would agree. I, I, I see what you're saying. And, and I think that that is like a a generous aspect of, of Kate's performance in the movie um, that she doesn't draw focus away from Judy or, or even really try to, you know, and I, I will say that in that big confrontation scene, it's also, it's a rare Kate performance just for there being that much yelling. I mean, I don't think of Kate actually as like a battle axe kind of actor that isn't, typically where she tends to go in her performances you know like she's not and say this with a lot of love but like she's not a Glenn Close you know where you're sort of waiting for the explosion um Kate really is like a more gestural performer is like a a very invested in like sort of carrying a scene through her body through the way that she moves and you do get some of that in this movie as well like I think the scene where Kate is dancing um, and, and Barbara is simultaneously attracted, but also disgusted by the display of the dancing um, is a good moment for, for, you know, what Kate does so well as an actor um, mm-hmm. that she's sort of able to use her body to sort of display why you could be attracted and disgusted by this person at the same mm-hmm. time. She's a- annoying. <laughs> she's yeah. annoying, but she's hot. Yeah. You're like, oh, this annoying person is unfortunately hot. I do get it. <laughs> yeah. And that's not um, easy to be, to be annoying and hot. And that dance is, is so ridiculous, but it's just conveys this person totally does. Totally. Yeah. But then to get to the end of the film and really, really have this big explosive scene with, with Kate and Judy is unusual for a Kate performance. 
Kate has that moment where she just like runs out into the mm -hmm. into the press and is just fully like just yelling, just yelling here away. I like, <laughs> yeah, here I am. Yeah, she's really going for it. And yeah, it, it just comes as it as somebody who has seen it their fair share of Kate performances it comes as a surprise where you're like wow girl like you really had to to let loose to meet Judy at Judy's level you know like yeah. there there's a way that Judy is so present through mm -hmm. those scenes that it kind of like I think drives Kate to that kind of histrionic place that she doesn't typically go yeah I think it's also the character like it's it's something the character would do but I also do do think what you're saying is right because Kate is somebody who plays a lot of women who are disintegrating, but her performances are always very controlled. Like there is control to the chaos. The character might be chaotic like Blue Jasmine, but the performer is controlled. So here, I think she lets a, a lot looser. And I don't think she would have done that uh, here I am scene in another movie with another character. But this is, and I think this is why she probably thinks, I mean, you know, I'm putting words into her mouth. I don't know this about her, but just reading her interviews, I think she really cherished this character because it's so unlike everything else that she has played. Um, and, and it shows in those, and it shows in this scene. So the, the scene right after this, where Barbara is sort of cleaning the apartment. And so, you know, Kate is, has calmed down and Barbara's killing the apartment <laughs> and she's still like remembering things she was remembering <laughs> things from the diary and she's like you know we never invited you to our house in the Dordogne and she's like well you said if I was ever in the neighborhood I should stop by and she's like we didn't, we didn't mean, mean it. it we didn't mean it <laughs> I love that that's scene. one of that's one of the best scenes of the movie for me I think that scene is so funny and yeah. so that that actually rings very true to life. You know, you've had like the big fight and you still are talking to the same person. And it's like, the fuck? <laughs> yeah. And also, you know, back to what we were saying earlier, it's just like the way they see their friendship. Like Barbara takes everything that Sheba says so seriously. And Sheba is never serious. She just casually tosses off this thing. Oh, come to the Dordogne if you're, if you're around. Um, and... You know, and then, of course, Dame Judy is so wonderful when she's still cleaning up when he sh when she says, I won't come then, which is the clincher for that scene. And it is, <laughs> I feel so bad for Barbara at that moment because she's somebody who is, who really cherished these invitations. And apparently there was no invitation. <laughs> it's true. But again, really like speaks to the brilliance of Judy's performance because she's not, like, I think a lesser actor would be tempted to be maudlin by that point in the film and the way that she says that well I guess I won't come then is so matter of fact yeah. <laughs> there's something so just like well screw you too about it in a way that is so charming and really I think takes the movie out of a like like the danger with this film would be that you feel so bad for the respective characters that it be stops being enjoyable and Judy just sort of like puts a puts a period on that feeling with sort of every sentence yeah absolutely um so I love notes in a scandal 
I love it so much. I think everybody who loves Kate and especially everybody who loves Judy loves this movie so much. It's a movie that is so easy to rewatch. And like Teo, you said earlier, it's a movie to watch with people and it's a movie to just have fun and enjoy. Despite, you know, what we talked about, about the trope of the predatory lesbian, um, it's still a movie that is ultimately enjoyable. What is your take on the predatory lesbian dynamic? I'm just curious because you did bring up earlier, and I think it's interesting that this is a movie that is maybe more appreciable for gay men. And I'm I'm just curious about like your your thought on that, you know, where, for example, actually a, a Kate movie that this reminded me of, which we haven't talked about on the podcast, um, but there are some similarities with this and the talented Mr. Ripley, mm-hmm. which has sort of the predatory gay longing as yes. opposed to a predatory lesbian longing. I think when I said that, I just meant like as a gay man and I'm just free to enjoy this movie and not think about the, the that trope, which might be sort of a selfish way to look at it, but it's also, um, you know, the truth. Um, and I think there is a tradition of gay men enjoying um, cultural things where women come at each other. Like, you know, we can talk about it from whatever happened to baby Jane to current gay men who love to watch The Real Housewives, for for example. So it is something sort of like ingrained in gay male culture to make heroes out of these, um, you know, for lack of a better word, vicious villains, because that is what Barbara ultimately is. But that is why I love her. That is why anybody would love her. Because if Barbara wasn't this vicious, if Barbara didn't have contempt for everybody, if Barbara didn't ruin Sheba's life, you know, quote unquote, ruin her life, Sheba ruined her own life. But, you know, Barbara was the conduit to that. If, if she didn't do all these things, she would not be somebody to love and enjoy. And also, you know, gay men are a little bit dramatic and they like to, you know, I'm speaking of, at you know, as a representative here. So if you're a gay man listening to this and you don't think you're dramatic, that's okay. I can say that. Um, You know, we're dramatic. We love big drama. We like tragic figures. We love this woman, Barbara Cobbett, who is very tragic. She is tragic because, you know, she is all these things that we don't want to think of about the lesbian women in our lives that we love. We don't want to think of any of them as repressed or lonely or predatory. But we love Barbara for all those things because those are the things that make her bring the drama. If she wasn't, she wouldn't bring the drama. And girl, Barbara brings the drama. She (laughs) she brings the drama. (laughs) She certainly does. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I mean, I think that it's interesting, particularly like in relief with uh, the talented Mr. Ripley because... Uh, like something that I was wondering myself at watching it is why though both movies deal with sort of similar ideas, I feel bothered by what's happening with notes on a scandal in a way that I, I feel very actually like deeply seen with, with talented Mr. Ripley. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like I, I think that it's a, a more like the horror there of that character is one of identification, whereas mm-hmm. the horror of, of Barbara is one of repulsion. Yeah. Um, and I think this is also just the nature of the movie. Like, this is sort of trashy and say, sensationalistic. So I think when you look at Ripley versus Barbara Cobbett, Ripley is somebody who you think maybe you you identify with them because you're like, that's 
that's who I could become if I don't come out, if I don't Mm -hmm. let the world know that I am gay. I need to avoid this. But Barbara has sort of a finality. It's as if this has been ordained to her no matter what she has done. Like the movie does not allow us to sort of think of Barbara as somebody who maybe could have come out or could have lived openly as a lesbian because she never even admits to being a lesbian. And, and so I think that is why you can, you can enjoy Ripley more if, and identify with him. And you can just enjoy Barbara just as a relic or as somebody, somebody who you hope you are never going to be, but you're also um, a little bit offended by. Barbara is a freak. (laughs) Yes. Barbara is a freak in a way that like Ripley is like a person. <laughs> yeah. But totally. Barbara is like a freak monster. You're like, Barbara, this, yeah. this is nuts. What you're doing is crazy. Yeah. And this is what we've been talking about. It's heightened. It's trashy. It's just not real. It what makes it fun, but it also what makes it a little bit uneasy in its depiction of Barbara. So um, this has been a wonderful conversation, Teo, as usual. I love when you come on the podcast and I have so much fun talking with you. Um, I will forgive you for saying Kate is not as good as Judy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and before we go listeners, we will have a companion podcast for our episode on notes and a scandal. Teo is going to come back next week and we are going to dig deeper into Dame Judy Dench. Um, We're going to celebrate the dame even more next week and talk about her film career um, and some of her movies. So if in this week you have time and you want to watch Mrs. Brown, that would be a movie to watch. If you want to watch A Room with a View, that would be another movie to watch. And we will talk about those next week. Um, Before we go, Taya, why don't you let our listeners know where they can find you and your work? Sure. Um, You can find my work at the New York Times uh, as a film critic, and you can find me on Twitter at TMI Bugby. As usual, you've been a wonderful guest. Thank you so much for coming. And thank you for listening. And you can find me on Twitter at ME underscore says and follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Sundays We Skate. All previous episodes of the show and show notes are available at sundayswithkate.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. And until next time, thank you for listening.